Did you believe? I thought so. Yeah, I thought we'd make it at least a three. Three's the magic number. Three's the magic number. Um, so welcome to episode three, uh, you magical listeners out there. We're not sure who you are, but the numbers keep going up and uh, we're happy about that. Uh, we wanted to put a disclaimer uh, after last episode with the wonderful Miss Kate Kamins, we realized that we kind of left off with uh, more questions than answers. And for us, that was kind of normal and, and kind of what we expected. But we realized that uh, for all of you, it, it, uh, all of you mystical, it's kind of weird to talk to people that you're not looking at. Anyway, um, we realized that we set this up to try to try to uh, provide more direction. And what we wanted to say was that we're really working towards exploring these questions and we're really working towards exploring, modeling how to explore these questions within our community and for our community so that we can build a more inclusive environment for all of us and really tackle some of the issues that uh, go into how we engage with each other and how we enter our, our collective space um, and, and we wanted to model that bringing up those questions is, is super important and also how we handle them, right? Uh, Dr. Saga, anything to add to that? I was just going to say, you say, or you mentioned, um, um, having more questions when we finish a conversation we started with as though it's a bad thing, but, um, sure. my students know that that's the way most of my conversations end up. I, I would almost rather end with more questions because that means that we started in a place that was worth starting in. Mm, well said. Uh, I was actually just talking to my class about writing today and they're about to turn in their first like big formal essay. And I was saying that good writing comes from asking good questions, right? Your thesis mm. statement is nothing but the answer to a question that you're about to defend. And, and so <laughs> on an existential level, no one knows what they're talking about. We're all just making it up off the information that we have, right? And so uh, more questions always leads to more learning, which is an excellent uh, transition into what we're talking about today um, because we want to talk about questions and we want to talk about asking questions. And Dr. Steiger, in, in your classes, how do you encourage students to find better questions to ask? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it always starts with curiosity, right? Encouraging students to investigate their own curiosity. What are the things that they're interested in? So I think the, the place where students see this the most and where I think it becomes the most important and potent is when they're, they're getting ready to do research projects. And, mm -hmm. and I always, I, not every research project lends itself to you can do anything you want, but when, when that's available, I think students, um, it's, it's fun to watch students struggle through that. And, and the first round of questions, they always come back with the questions that feel like they'll be good history questions. And, and you can see it in their face when they really don't care about that question. They don't care about the answers. There's no investment for them in that thing, but it just feels like something that they'll be able to find forces for and it'll be easy. Um, and then you start poking at it. You're like, why this thing? What is it that you're interested in? Where are you trying to go with this? And it falls apart instantly. Mm -hmm. And then you get them to come back and I say, okay, so what is it that you are interested in? What's important to you? Set the history side aside for a second and just think about what's interesting to you. What questions, 
what subjects, what topics, what activities do you invest your time in? And then how can we turn that into a research question? How can we turn that into something that you might investigate? And nine times out of 10, that's going to lead to something better because it starts from something they care about. Yeah. To, so to me, that's, that's the key difference between good questions and bad questions. Uh, I know some teachers out there would say that there's no such thing as a bad question. I think that's wrong, right? I think a bad question is any question that you ask that you're not genuinely interested in the answer to and that the answer isn't consequential to you, right? Sometimes, sometimes students will ask questions just because I asked if anybody has a question. And I'll say, all right, uh, ask me three questions before, before we end. And when you just kind of come up with something and you're not really caring and you're just asking for the, for the sake of asking the question, it never goes as well as when you're genuinely interested in it because that genuine interest ties to a different line of thought. I was just thinking one of the places where I see that is at the beginning of a semester, if you have the little note card or something like that, and you're like, okay, what are three things you're curious about this year? It's usually not all that useful. They're not necessarily real questions. They're just things that they can put down on the note card and hand it in and be out the door early on that first day of school. Exactly, right? And, and that's, that's also frustrating as a teacher because I'm like, all right, so we're just wasting time here because you don't want to know the answer to this and I'm going to spend time giving you an answer that you don't care about, right? So as we're, as we're thinking about how, how we get to good questions, right? It's really a matter of engagement and how we're engaging with the material that we're dealing with. Because if I, if I, go, to, uh, if I go to explain something to you without it being, without finding a way to make it interesting to you, or if you're trying to listen to something without uh, finding your way into that uh, information, it's just kind of gonna glance past you. Does that kind of, does that resonate with you? I think so. I mean, it's that, that person that you can tell is, is spending as much time looking at the clock and thinking about what's coming next as they are actually participating in and allowing the questions to sink in, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes we can't, we can't be 100% on all the time as much as I would want my students to be on all the time. Like the, the 50 minutes a day that you're gonna be on are gonna be in my classroom. I want that, but we know that that's not true. And so, you know, this is no judgment. This isn't a place to, to like say, hey, you lose focus, you're, you're a bad person. No, it, it's totally normal. But yeah. also like the things that are gonna draw people back in are those engagements, those places where they're feeling invested. They're feeling like they, they wanna know what's going on. They, the, the questions are, are meaningful to them and that's gonna help them stay focused, stay engaged, keep moving forward. Absolutely. Do you, do you think that there's a middle ground in that? Do you think you ever have students who are genuinely engaged and, and here for the lesson, but not asking that question for whatever reason? I, I think yes. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, so talk. I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I'm thinking about the students that I have that will have a class discussion and, and I'll pause for questions kind of periodically. 
And then no, no questions. All right, I'll see you later. Assignments due when the assignments due. Bye. And then as everybody leaves, somebody waits behind and says, Oh, Mr. Rivers, I had a question. And of course, tell me what your question is, I'll answer it. Let's let's have this dialogue. But I'm always wondering what stopped you from asking that question when everybody was here? Because now I can't share that information with everybody else. You're the only one who gets it. And, I, and I'm trying to figure out how to make you more comfortable in that space. Right. Um, and this is reminding me of something that we talked about last time with Ms. Caymans, where we were talking about empathy and we're talking about thinking about where other people are sitting in that classroom. And I think one of the things that I learned early on as a teacher, and especially as I transitioned from teaching college students to teaching high school students, one of the dynamics in a high school classroom that's really important is how much students are thinking about other students in the room, right? And, and how much is that pressure of being in a room with other adolescents, with other teenagers, with peers, with friends, with frenemies, with whatever, is, yeah. is affecting students' willingness to engage in the questions that we think are just like academic, scholarly, intellectual questions, but are loaded for students with all kinds of weight and pressures and other kinds of things that, that are meaningful. Right. Yeah, there, there, there are definitely a lot of social dynamics that, that go into it. And, and a lot of reason to, I guess, be afraid of, of what's going to happen if, almost if you ask the wrong question. Right. But as, as an English teacher, I would say there, there are good questions and bad questions, but there are no wrong questions. Would you agree, would you agree I, with that? I think so. Hmm, would I agree with that? There are a lot of things that, that people say they say, or, or teachers say, or TV teachers say that I'm not sure I always agree with. But um, are, there, are there wrong questions? Um, there are certainly wrong times to ask some questions. Um, which can sometimes feel like a wrong question. Um, I think, I mean, there's a lot going into it. Like any, any kind of conversation, any kind of discussion, I think questioning is, um, it's part of a discourse, it's contextual, it's, it's important to really think about what all's going on. Um, mm -hmm. But I know from my students, when I ask them, they'll tell me all the time, I was afraid to ask because... Mm -hmm whatever. There are all kinds of reasons. I was afraid that I would look dumb. I was afraid because I didn't know how, how you would respond. I didn't know what you would think if I asked this question in this moment. So yeah. I, I think fear is a really important part of um, a, many students' experience um, yeah. in, in classroom dynamics. I think about that with my, uh, and, and I don't mean to say that Fear is, is the same as being introverted, but I think about that with my introverted students who just don't really like public speaking in that way. And, and as, as, a, as somebody who incorporates uh, presentations into some of the projects that we do, I try to build that skill as much as possible, but more so I try to build an environment where they'll be comfortable. And so I'll do like small group work and, and things of that nature. But it doesn't always work. Do, do you do anything to try to intentionally help kids be comfortable enough to ask those questions for you? You know, part of it is making it just a regular part of classes, right? That, that especially when we're in person, and, and I've got two different answers for this. One of them is in person and one of them is our current remote reality. But in person, by making conversation constant and trying to make it as 
light as possible. And I know for some students, it doesn't matter how light I try to make it, it's always going to feel terrifying, right? <laughs> and sometimes you, you can see that and you know those students and you're like, I know I'm never going to call on that student. Certainly mm -hmm. never going to cold call on that student. And, and there's always that secret hope that as the year goes on, they'll gradually become more and more comfortable and will begin to like gradually raise their hand. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I also try to, like for me, humor is critical, right? So to not take anything too seriously. So like sometimes you're talking about something really heavy and intense. And so you, you play the room, but at the same time, like self-effacing humor is really important to me. So to make fun of myself, to make jokes about putting myself first, you know, like I, I always have these jokes. I'm like, you know, we all know it's all about me. Um, and, and I say these things to try to take some of the spotlight off of my students so that I put it back onto me and, and hopefully it's going to free some of them up to feel more comfortable engaging. Um, that's, that's mostly in person, although I try to use some of those jokes, not nearly as effective in remote learning. I'm telling you, landing jokes on Zoom is harder than you would think. I know. I think it's because the mute, because they can mute themselves, right? So, so even if they're laughing to themselves, even those little chuckles that they, you might be getting, the lag times, everything, you just can't see it. So it, the thing that remote classroom has done, which has been sort of illuminating to me, um, is it allows the private comment, right? So a student can slide in that question, put themselves anonymously, at least to their classroom, they, they can send something directly to me. And that tells me that they're not necessarily afraid to ask the, que the question. They're just right. afraid to share it in front of other students, which right. is also such an interesting dynamic, right? Like they're not necessarily afraid of the question, although sometimes they may be. And, and then we'd never know because they wouldn't ask us in private. They wouldn't ask us out loud. Um, but, but the idea of the private comment, this is something that I wanna see if there's a way we can save when we go back to in-person school. How can we do the private comment in in-person classes in a way that feels as natural as it does now? Yeah. You know, this conversation makes me think of, especially what, even though it was kind of a sidebar, but what we were just saying about how humor works on Zoom mm. and how it's hard because you don't get that laugh back. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just sitting in my head thinking about, was that funny, was that funny? And then I do this thing where anyway, and I just kind of move on because I can't tell if anybody laughed. Yeah. There's a, there's a response that I need to keep going. Right? right. And when I think about my classroom, there's a responsibility that is shared amongst all of us. So when I do tell those self-effacing jokes, when I do admit sometimes, I don't know, like, I don't know the answer to every single question you could possibly ask me. But it's important that we have those questions in the space because I have 18 minds in here that when they hear that question, it's, it's going to do something different in each mind, right? And because we're all collectively working towards uh, the same goal and trying to understand this text or this whatever, whatever you put in front of us, the, the question that you, you give me is going to add a different perspective, a different lens that I can now think through that I didn't have before, right? Because when I'm doing this by myself, I only have the information that I have, the experiences that I have, and that is very limiting. Whereas with 18 other people, 
that information is infinite, right? right. So, so it, to me, it's like, I want you to be comfortable asking those questions because our, our collective success is capped. If there's even one person in the room who's not, who's, who won't contribute those. You know, I was, <clears throat> I was thinking as you're, you're talking, um, I, I think this has come up either in our casual prep conversations or, or, or maybe in one of our recordings, but the idea that our students get like one take at ninth grade, they get one take at 11th grade, right? You and I have been doing this just long enough, right? We're not as seasoned as, as some of our colleagues, but we've been doing this just long enough that we know, um, you know, we've got years of experience sometimes on the same texts, on the same questions. And so when we ask a question, we have a much bigger range of possible responses and possible interesting directions that this thing might lead, right? Yeah. And our students though, they're going through it brand new, right? So this may be the first time they've ever been presented with a sticky problem or a sticky text or, or an interesting thematic interpretation to try to work through, right? And yeah. so like we have this like hope or expectation of the possibilities that might unfold. Um, they don't even know what to imagine, right? <laughs> they may have lots of questions, but they don't have any, they don't have enough experience sometimes to balance it up against something to know, like, is this a good question? Is this not a good question? Is this a, is this an okay question to ask? What are the boundaries? What are the limits? What are the risks? What's the danger? And so I right. think for that uncertainty, I think for, for many of us, and I know if I put myself in a different context and imagine myself in, in some other space where I don't feel as comfortable as I do in front of my own classroom, right. I have all kinds of things that like, that reads as fear, all of that uncertainty, all of that, that like anxiety, I don't know where it's gonna go. That, that feels scary, that feels intense. I get those like flutters and those, the, the, you know, all, the, all those feelings, the heat up the back of the neck and all those things. Yeah. Do you still get nervous before the first day of class? Not as much as I used to. I used to really feel it. Um, I, I don't think that I do as much. Do you? Before the first day, absolutely. Still yeah. before, after like long breaks, like spring break, winter break, I get a little bit. In the first year or so, I felt it every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, it was, it was like wearing me down. And, and what made me think of that was, when, uh, as, as teachers, I think there's a lot of uncertainty that we have to face. Mm -hmm. We have to either get over or find a way to, to cover it up and deal with it because yeah. you're going to be in front of, of new people every right. year. And it's, it's always going to be this super connection. Right. Because I'm your only, I'm your only not great teacher. Yeah. A whole uh, nine months together we're going to get there. Right. And, and so like, I, I get comfortable in a way that, as, as you were saying, a lot of students don't yet. Right. They don't have knowledge yet. Yeah. I, right. get that. I, I was going to say, I want to, I want to clarify my answer. I do get nervous before the first day of school, but not necessarily for the first day of school. It's like mine hits about a week before. So as, <laughs> as we, as teachers are coming back, that's when I start to feel my nervousness. And by the time the first day of school, it's almost a relief. Like, okay, now we're getting into, this is the, this is the time that, that feels normal again. The rest of it is just anticipate, anticipatory. Wow, that's so interesting. 
because so, for me it's always that first minute of class yeah that I'm, that I'm freaked out for no That's, that it's almost a relief for me like the students come in I'm like okay yeah I got this this is this is cool it's right up to that point that it's just too much what do you what do you do to when you do you have like a, a first day routine where you uh do some type of work to get everybody to know each other one way or another? Um, you know, we've, I've done, I've tried different things. I've never sort of the note card was actually experience of things that didn't work well. I don't know that I've ever found anything that just like was smooth. And I was like, yes, I'm going to make this every year. I'm going to start every class this way. I know some people have their thing. I always hated icebreakers. Anytime somebody said, oh, do an icebreaker. It always, whether I was a participant or a leader, it sounded awful. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so, you know, I've, I've had a hard time getting over that as a teacher, um, that like internal revulsion to the idea of icebreakers. Yeah. I know they can be super effective. I know that idea of making connections and, and, and taking away academic pressure can be super useful, but it's mm -hmm. still, you know, I can't, I can't get over it. There are those things that, that had that effect on me as a student that I still can't get rid of. It's like, yeah the bad memories that. of bad icebreakers. I get that. So to give you the other side of that spectrum, I have a question that I start every, every one of my classes with. And it's, it's kind of the secret sauce at this point. So yeah. I've given something away here, but that's okay. Uh, so I ask, I ask the same question at the beginning of every class and I'll tell you about it because the reason I asked this question connects to this conversation that we're having. But I say, if I give you a magic pill, and it will make you as happy as you could possibly be. Anything you want, if it would make you happy, you can have with this pill. The only catch is that this pill is going to turn you into a pig. Mm. Would you take it? And so I ask that, and then I give them five minutes where they have to free write about it, right? And so, so they write away. Off the top of your head, what's, what's your answer? Do you take top this of my pill? Head. Oof, no. Why not? Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, no. One, I don't really because it's hard for me to, as as a somewhat reluctant carnivore, um, it's hard for me <laughs> to imagine pig as anything other than you know future bacon. So, but but the other side of that is just like the idea of taking a pill for happiness, um, and maybe it's maybe it's that I've had too much. Uh, too much philosophy class and too much, um, you know, history and and unintended consequences and everything else. Like mm -hmm. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Okay, so I'm as happy as can be, but suddenly I find myself rooting around in a pigsty. Clearly, something's gone wrong. Right. So, so you might be because of your philosophy classes, but I have ninth graders who would say the, a similar thing, but they don't have that same vocabulary. They're like, well, if I'm happy all the time. I can't, why can't I be sad? Or, or right. if I'm never sad, I can't really enjoy my happiness. Right. Cool. That's one answer that I get. Yeah. However, there's always a lot of questions that I get from that question. It's like, okay, uh, I don't want to be a pig because uh, I'm rolling around and slap all day. Yeah. Why are you rolling around and slap all day? Is that what would make you happy? If it doesn't make you happy, then that's not what happens. And so no matter what you say, I ask you, why would you do that if it doesn't make you happy? The whole point of this question 
is to make you grapple with it. Sure. And to make you come to terms with what reasoning do you have and where does that reasoning come from? Because if you're only going to say that I don't want to be a pig because pigs are gross, well, you don't have to be a gross pig. Right. In fact, in fact, most a lot of students find this little uh, back door to the question, but eventually it gets to the point where you can be a walking, talking human who's just kind of secretly referred to as a pig. Like you don't, you can break all the rules of it. However, what it does, what it does for me, and the reason I start my classes with this is because it, it immediately puts a sense of, of uh, almost power mm. in everybody's voice. Because no matter who you are, no matter what perspective you're bringing to that question, it's valid because it's such a ridiculous question. Right. And there's so many just ridiculous things to it that you have to know that whatever, whatever experience you're having, whatever you feel like is the answer to that question is a good answer to that question, right? right. And to, for me, I, I always hope that that question sets off uh, that spirit in my class where you can, where you have that, that sense of ownership over your own voice and over your own perspective so that you will throw your voice into the pile of voices so that we might elevate each other a little bit higher, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, a midget standing on giant shoulders can see much further, right? No matter how much you add, you're adding something. Sure, sure. <laughs> no problem. Um, and, and that perspective adds a, adds a lot. Go ahead. Um. Just, just disclosure. If we don't edit this down and chop this out, the the Zoom school in the background is is adding an element to our our podcast, which is fun. The nature of the beast. Absolutely. So I, I think you know one of the things that that I'm hearing from you is is certainly very clearly this like potent um, value of asking questions. That this is this is critical for your classes. It's hard for you to imagine classes without them. Um, I think. One of the things, and this is kind of coming back to something that we talked about before, what about those students for whom, whether it's it's introversion or fear, is there ever a point where fear is useful or valid or important for students and, and they, you know, does it give them something, like almost a protection that, that's worthwhile? Like, I, I guess part of my, my thinking is, I don't wanna just encourage students, certainly I wanna encourage students to be curious and to ask their questions, but at the same time, I don't want to encourage them to not listen to their inner voices. If their inner voice is trying to tell them something, when are the times when maybe that fear is, is useful? Maybe, maybe pausing before you ask a question is actually a really good thing. Right, it, well, it's always important to ask, to think before you speak. Sure. Um, but I, I would say there is there are ways that that fear is helpful, which is even a hard sentence to say, but we don't always make the, the best decision all the time. And there are times where, you know, I'm not I'm not asking the question right now, but I, I find one of two things happens, right? You either don't ask that question and you just kind of swallow it and you live without the answer or you kind of do your own research on that. And that's, that's always super powerful, right? When a, when a kid says, um, I, I didn't ask this before, but I found this out because I had that question. It's, sure. it still leads you to more. Right. And we, we talked about this before, but 
not every single class every single day is your is your jam right and i get i get that but as as the english teacher i i get to live with that kind of uh those what do you call them uh what do you call those things blinders those blinders on i yeah, get to I, live with I, can, blinders. I can see your hands i know what you're talking about the blinders <laughs> <laughs> now a math teacher is probably going to be a lot less open to just taking questions as opposed to not finding that answer. Maybe, I, I, I think we need to get some math teachers in here. I think that would be really interesting because I think, um, you know, when I, when I talk to art teachers, when I talk to math teachers, turns out there can be lots of conversation going on in and around the like mathematical formulas um, that, that, you know, it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, I think, you know, we, we've talked about this too, um, where, where, I think you and I are both coming from a humanities place, a place where this idea of engaged inquiry is driving our sense of what learning is. And I think it'd be, it's gonna be really useful for us as we, as we continue to have these conversations to bring in people from these other, other parts of our campus, other parts of our academic universe to, to say, you know, what does is, what is engaged inquiry look like in your algebra two class and, and you know, what is, what's it look like for you to have the, the questioning students? Is it, is it really practical and mechanical or, or, you know, do you have those places where it sort of launches off into like the philosophical unknown? So this is a fascinating question when we're thinking about our classrooms. How yeah. does this conversation change when we, uh, when we have the same conversation about how it fits into our community? You know, I, I was thinking when we were talking about fear and I was talking about, um, you know, those butterflies that I get, those, that anxiety or the heat up your neck or whatever, those, those physiological manifestations of discomfort, right? And, and in our community Zoom meetings, when, you know, the, the Zoom with the doctors or whatever, and I'm like, I got this question that's like rolling around in the back of my head. And I wanna ask this question, I wanna pose it out there. Um, but I'm thinking about like, okay, I ask this question. Am I asking this question as viewpoint parent? Am I asking this question as viewpoint faculty? Am I asking this question as just, you know, interested community member? Like, I'm not sure. And do I have to change the way I ask the question based on those different identities? Is it going to come off weird if I ask this question this way? Is this a risky question to ask? Right. And I feel that even when it's something so practical as like keeping myself safe in a pandemic. So, you know, I certainly, I certainly understand that sense of, of anxiety. Um, and then I see people asking things. I'm like, wow, I am surprised that like, that just seems so bold to me. And often those, those questions that get plopped in there, um, launch into an amazing part of a community discussion that like, I never would have imagined but I'm in awe of the fearlessness to just go to that place. Right, right. It's like, how did you get such confidence for yeah. that? And sometimes those aren't even what I would call good questions. Right. right? They're not necessarily productive. They don't always lead us to, to somewhere good. And then I'm like, well, I had a better question than that, but I didn't ask it. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. That's that's the fear that we were talking about that uh, students also feel. And there are so many things that play into that. Right, right. right. 
And mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when we were, when we talked about this uh, in preparation, one of the things we talked about was the power of self-reflection, right? That, that encouraging students, encouraging our community members to spend time with, with the, the fear, right? Why, why are you feeling anxious? Why are you feeling uncertain about asking um, any question or a particular set of questions? Um, if you find yourself pausing at a moment when you aren't sure why, mm-hmm. try, to, try to spend some time there and, and try to understand what is it that you're feeling? Is it, is it the content of a question? Is it the vibe in the room? Is it your relationship specific relationship with another person or a group of people or whoever's leading the meeting. I mean, there's so many different things that could be happening, but unless you've started to ask yourself those questions, why am I feeling this response? It's going to be hard for you to know what to do next and to, to problem solve, to engage differently. Right. And, and how, how can you investigate that question? Hey, so here's one for you. I, I have an answer to this, but I'm, I'm so interested to see your where do you draw that line between a time to be vulnerable and, and kind of step out on, on uh, look, I just have this question, can I ask it to you, versus I shouldn't ask this question? How, where, do you, where do you distinguish that line? So I think for me, um, just as you were asking the question, the, the thought that came to mind is safety first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's vulnerability and then there's unsafe. And I think the, the first thing, if I'm going to be vulnerable, I need to, I need to feel safe. I need to feel like I have some sort of security in this moment. And if, if for whatever reason, the fear is so intense that I'm like, I just don't know if this is a safe question to ask, right? So thinking about those Zoom calls, if, if I'm thinking about this question that I want to ask, really does feel like it might be you know, a dangerous question to ask for my position or, or whatever, I'm, I'm not going to ask that question. I'm just going to sort of sit on it and, and think differently and try to think about, is there a better way to get to the information or get to the question that I'm trying to get at? Um, you know, I, so I think that's the first thing is like, I, I want to know, okay, I'm safe. The next thing is I'm going to spend time with relationship, right? I want to know, okay, if this is a question that I know is really important, I'm going to figure out who I can trust to ask this question to, right? And so if it's a question about, um, about identity, if it's a question about engagement, if it's a, a question about employment, I mean, whatever it is, then I'm gonna try to figure out who can, I, who can I sort of lean on and trust to ask that question in a, a way that feels safe and productive, right? right? And so then, you know, then you go from there. And sometimes you're just going to sit on it. Sometimes I'm going to Google it. Sometimes I'm going to, it depends on the, the nature of the question. Um, yeah. But those, I think those are the two things that I, I do first is one, assess my safety. Um, and then two, think about what the best forum would be to ask that question um, from uh, to someone that I trust. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. Uh, like for me, it's all about the relationship. Like, yeah. how do I feel in that relationship with you? Does the relationship make me feel safe? And if we're in a context where I feel like I can't ask that question for whatever reason, I'm going to look for, for my connection, my one person, right? A lot of students have that one person in class that they'll text after class and say, hey, I wasn't really listening. What was just happening? And it's like, okay, right? Um, but that, that connection makes, you, makes it okay to ask those questions. 
right? right? How, and as go ahead, no, go ahead. I was saying uh, as we as we're thinking of, about this on a community level and and about on a including community level, I think it's important that that we establish those kinds of relationships and and establish that feeling of safety, even if it's not even if you're not comfortable enough to ask in like a full assembly meeting, right? You need to have certain people that you can go to with your questions. Right. Yeah. And and even if even if that's just a few people, I would hope that we're we're conscious about trying to be that person or be be those people for uh, each other, for our students, for our faculty members. Um, I think that's important. Absolutely. How how often have you had either a class session um, or maybe a public presentation or a public um, um, gathering that you were part of, and the best question, the one that sliced most to the heart of what you were trying to get at comes from somebody who comes after class or they come in during eye block or somebody who stays until after. And they're like, I was wondering this. And it, it's the key question. Yep. You know, I can't think of a single time when I've had a student ask me something after class that I didn't wish the whole class had heard. Right. Because it's, and it's always so much better. And especially on Zoom. There's something about Zoom that is just keeps me in my own head when I'm talking. Mm -hmm. And because, because a lot of the mics are muted and because the nature of the beast, right? When they ask the question, I can launch into a different kind of explanation that I couldn't get to when I was just talking right. or when I was just giving my spiel. The question a lot of times unlocks information that I, that I can package differently simply because of the question. Right. How often does it happen for you? All the time. Um, <laughs> all the time. And I think it, I mean, it really is that idea. Um, and maybe it's partly it's about content delivery versus true discussion, right? That, that for my classes, I'd much rather have a genuine discussion and let things kind of unfold and unravel. Um, but if, it, if they're relying on me to kind of give content, right, then I've got a sort of narrative spiel that I can give right? To, to use your word again, like I've got the spiel that I can give and I can fill yeah. time. And my students know I can fill, I can fill as much time as I need to fill if, if I really need to prattle on, but it's so much more rewarding for me and for them. I think if instead of the spiel, it's, it's sort of bouncing um, like stepping stones from, from point to point um, to see where it goes, right? Like let's, let's follow this tangent and see if that unlocks something bigger that we can pull back into this, this story in a way that actually creates more understanding. But if I'm just spieling, I'm right. just giving you what I think is gonna be useful. I have no idea if it's landing. It's only right. when you're asking and working back with me that I have any kind of evaluation in real time of what mm -hmm. might be landing or what not. And so if I can stop someplace to help unpack um, that issue that you're asking the question about, it's going to be such a better discussion, such a more productive class meeting mm -hmm. than, than if I'm just doing my thing. Right. Not to mention uh, when you have a question and you don't ask it, me continuing almost never helps. Right. Almost unless, unless I'm going to uh, address that question specifically anyway. Yeah. Me just continuing will never help which is why I can go on for 
20 minutes and get a question about minute two. Right. Why? Because I didn't stop at minute two and ask if, if and take that question or, or you didn't ask it at, at minute two. Um, right. Which makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. So as we think of uh, the takeaways for, for this uh, conversation and, and the takeaways for our community from this conversation, what do we want people to know about asking questions? So I think, I mean, for, for me, I think the most important thing is starting with that self-reflection, right? Ask yourself the questions, get in the habit of asking yourself questions too, right? Like we're talking about community engagement, but also turn inward. And if, if you feel physiologically, if you feel emotionally that like something is getting between you and feeling comfortable engaging, try to think about what's going on. Why are you feeling that? Are you only, are you feeling it all the time? Right. And it's, it's part of who you are and how you engage in the world. You know, that's one thing. If there are particular classes where you just feel like you can't jump in, you can't engage, you know, ask those questions. What is it? Is it particular topics? Is it particular people? Um, is it particular moments? Um, is it the dynamic in the room? What, what's, what's getting in the way and keeping you from, from asking those questions? And what do you need to feel more comfortable? And who can help you feel more comfortable to ask those questions? What context is gonna help you feel more comfortable to ask those questions? Um, and then the reminder that if you're uncertain and curious about something, I guarantee you there are other people in the room that have similar kinds of questions. It may not be the exact same, but they're, they're wondering about similar things. And together we'd be able to, to productively explore that. Yeah. I agree with that too. I, I would also add that I never want them to let the question go or to just bury it. Right. right? Even if, if they don't ask it verbally, I would hope that they investigate it themselves because it's, it's tied to something that they thought of that came from somewhere. And, it, and that, honestly, it came from the same lesson that we were doing, right. right? And so because it came from that, it's going to lead you into more understanding of that. Right. And the other thing I would add is that as a, as a community, whether no matter how big or small that is, whether that's two people, a class, or our entire school community, we have to take our own responsibility for how we buy into that. And I think that uh, asking questions and investigating the answers to those questions is part of that responsibility for our greater, uh, our greater direction. I, I know we're sort of wrapping up and I just had that question that I'm worried is going to be, take us in the wrong direction. See, here's this fear of asking questions. Are, are, are there questions that, let me, we talk about um, um, intent versus impact, right? Mm -hmm. Are there questions that um, the impact of a question makes it a question that shouldn't be asked or, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, not put too fine a point on this because I think that there can be lots of different contexts, but. And I think, I think for the context that I'm thinking of, and yeah, you're right, it is a, it is a sensitive thing, but it goes back to what you were saying about um, the relationship. Right. But also, in my mind, I would rather, I would rather have an uncomfortable five second moment where you ask that question and I say, hey, don't, don't ever ask that again, right? Sure. Don't, 
Don't ever say that again. And, but then I can also give you an answer in a very real way because I realized, oh, you, you're asking that question for the first time. And like, right. and that, that, was, that was hard for you. And so I think it's more important to have that uncomfortable conversation for a second than to live with the question that you never got the answer to. Because again, not to put too fine of a, fine of a point on it, but when you don't get the answer, right? You, you substitute the answer with, with information from other places, right? right? And when you substitute that information, it can come from anywhere. And now it's gotten to a point where this metaphor has gone too far. I'll give you an example, right? If we're talking about race and, and something race related and you're asking me, hey, do, do black people really love fried chicken? I can, I can say whatever I would, I would say to that, right? However, if I don't answer that question, what are you going to do? Well, you have to go to the images and the, the uh, representations that you already have of black people in your mind. Where does that come from? If it doesn't come from experience, which it probably doesn't because of the question you just asked me, right? It comes from the media sources that you have, the movies that you've seen, and the things that you've read. And, and we've all, we, are, we all know that the uh, representations uh, stereotypically, historically of black people in media don't, don't represent the ranges of the people, right? And so be, because of that, right? Uh, because of that, I would rather have an uncomfortable conversation where we can build and better this relationship than to have you go off and live your life without the answer to that question and, and making it up off of uh, a, a poor representation of the answer. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Um, also, it just reminds me of that, that importance of listening to that inner voice. And sometimes, mm -hmm. sometimes it's okay to wait to ask the question. Um, as you said, I, I totally agree with you. Find a place, explore, build the relationships where you can ask the questions and find the answers. Sometimes you may not have to ask the question, the example of the question that you, you ask. Maybe you don't have to actually ask the question if you build the relationships with, with folks that you know, will give you the, the answer without having to ask it. You know, and speaking um, this full circle, right? This connects to what we were talking about with uh, uh, Ms. Caymans, because if you only listen to the people in your tribe or in your echo chamber, you don't get to have those experiences or, or learn those answers or build right. those relationships. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so going forward, I, I would hope that people continue to find those connections and that our community can come together across many different uh, ways of being together, right? You don't necessarily have to be in the same class or on the same team. You can build a connection with each other just passing each other through the virtual hallways, right? Um, I, think, I, think, I think we covered it. Awesome. I mean, there's always more questions to ask. There's more to do, but. And, and we'll, we'll find a few and we'll answer them for you, for you next week. We'll, we'll probably ask more before we're done, but. Also true. Uh, any last words for this one, Mr. Steiger? I don't think so. I'm ready to, ready to peace out. <laughs>